Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel, and I'm joined by Eminence, Bill Werner, Brent Palm, Mike Grimm, and Ashley Walker. We're going to delve into what's happening in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the state's Office of Medical Cannabis is looking for a new leader. MnDOT's popular Name a Plow contest is underway. Minnesota Twins broadcaster Corey Provis will have a new role this spring and summer. But first, the latest state budget forecast came out this week giving state lawmakers an idea of how much money they'll have to work with when they come back to the state capitol in February. Eminence Bill Werner joins us with a report. Tasha, even before lawmakers got the number, Republicans were saying... If there's a surplus, members of the public should be calling your legislator demanding that it goes back to taxpayers. Minnesota does have another budget surplus, although nowhere near the size of the record-breaking $17-plus billion that lawmakers got news of one year ago and which precipitated a legislative session unlike any other in recent memory. This time, the projected surplus for 2024-25 is $2.4 billion, but spending it could cause a deficit of similar magnitude in the following two years, 2026 and 27. Republicans said Democrats' reckless spending has set the state on that path. But Management and Budget Commissioner Aaron Campbell said technically that is not correct. She said one outcome could be a deficit, however. That depends on what happens this legislative session, and it depends on whether or not our projected spending uh, continues at the same rate, whether or not our revenues come in as projected, higher or lower. Governor Tim Walz said, We need to be measured. We're not going to give tax cuts to millionaires. And we're not going to spend excessively on things. But Senate Republican Minority Leader Mark Johnson warned what he's seeing from Democrats. The continued appetite for spending more and more money going forward in proposals that have been already brought up. There are many cost drivers in the Minnesota state budget, but the largest ones at this point are health and human services and education, including free school lunch and breakfast. I'm not cutting meals for kids or services to our most vulnerable to give tax cuts to the folks at the top. Said the governor. Republican Representative Kristen Robbins responded she doesn't know if tax cuts could be on the table. She says that should have happened when the state had a huge surplus. But she says Democrats... They recklessly spent $17.5 billion and added additional $10 billion in taxes. Governor Walls was asked whether tax increases might be needed at this point. I think it's way too early to talk about that. It's uh, disingenuous not to say, look, everything's on the table. What I can tell you is... I'm not cutting meals for kids or services to our most vulnerable to give tax cuts to the folks at the top. Representative Robbins responded, Democrats' free school meal program benefits those at the top. All the low-income students who need and we want to provide, make sure no one goes hungry, they were getting it through the free and reduced lunch program. This gave free lunch to all the wealthy families, so that's a place I think we need to look at. We talked with Hamlin University political analyst David Schultz about the current budget situation. With an ending of some of the uh, federal aid and came from the pandemic and the increases in some of the commitments that the state has made, it's looking like at this point there could be a potential um, deficit going into the next biennium. And that puts pressure now on the Democrats in terms of thinking about what should they do with the surplus right now in terms of do they spend it, do they save it, do they give it back to the taxpayers? Uh, it really sort of adds a complication. 2026 is close, but in, in political terms, it's an eternity. 
would you care to take any predictions on uh, on what they might do, given that 2024 is an election year and 2026 is a couple of years beyond that? Sure. First off, it is an election year, and in an election year, oftentimes elected representatives like to be, as I call it, Santa Claus. They like to be able to provide goodies um, back to their home districts, and they have all kinds of incentives to worry about providing for current constituents and not necessarily thinking about the future. So I think there's going to be enormous pressure either for spending or for, or for tax cuts or some kind of rebate, um, as opposed to saying, let's save this uh, to cover the, the uh, projected or possible deficit. On top of which, given the fact that there are elections next year in Minnesota where it's possible that the partisan control of the House could shift, the Democrats may be thinking that this is their last opportunity to be able to um, do some spending commitments that they would like to be able to do because they may not have a trifecta the year after that. It sounds like what you're saying is that the potential looming deficit two years away or so um, could very well be ignored in this legislative session. I think so. That's Hamlin University analyst David Schultz. Well, on the same day that the new economic forecast came out, so did news that the IRS has ruled the state rebate checks that some Minnesotans have been receiving will be subject to federal income tax. At an afternoon news conference, Governor Walls apparently could not hide his frustration. Uh, bullshit. I, uh, uh, I, yeah, I'm, I, I don't know. The governor said he told President Biden's chief of staff Minnesota is being treated unfairly. They picked an arbitrary date to end the, the emergency on May 11th. The legislature did not get finished and signed them over until the 26th. So we missed by 15 days. Every other state was afforded this. And they say, well, we've got to have a, a red line in the sand. The governor says he's deeply disappointed. Senate Republican Minority Leader Mark Johnson said Democrats broke their promise and handed out paltry rebate checks, which will now be reduced by federal taxes. And this was the week that Minnesotans and Americans remembered Sandra Day O'Connor, the first woman to serve on the United States Supreme Court. Just a few days before Justice O'Connor's death, Natalie Hudson was sworn in as the first person of color to serve as Chief Justice on the Minnesota Supreme Court. To the best of my judgment and ability, so help me. So help me, God. Since 1849, Minnesota has had 21 chief justices, and Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan noted, 19 of them have been men, two have been women, but none of them have been a person of color. Today, that changes forever. The constitutional promise to deliver justice freely and promptly and fairly is a living commitment that each of us must make each and every day. Chief Justice Hudson undeniably is following in the footsteps of the woman who broke the glass ceiling in the nation's legal sector. She told MNN Sandra Day O'Connor was an icon and a trailblazer for all women in one of her favorite quotes from the late justice. She said, what matters most is not that I will make decisions as a woman, but that I am a woman who gets to make decisions. But Hudson said O'Connor was also a consensus builder. She strove to obviously um, interpret the law as best she understood it. 
and um, and to do that uh, irrespective of whether she personally agreed necessarily with with the outcome. Chief Justice Hudson points to reports that O'Connor was surprised at how important her appointment was to some people. Hudson says she has experienced the same thing. I've had so many uh, women come up to me, black and white and other ethnicities, um, with their daughters in hand, thanking me, you know, with tears in their eyes, some of them, thanking me for what I represented to their little girl. Tasha? Thanks, Bill. More Minnesota Matters after this. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radal. Minnesota's Office of Medical Cannabis is looking for a new leader following the departure of longtime director Chris Thokas. On this week's show, MN's Brent Palm talks with Thokas about the growth of the cannabis program over the last five years and gets a few parting words from her. Well, Chris, uh, it sounds like uh, you're leaving your post with the Office of Medical Cannabis. What do you want to share? What can you say about departing? Yeah, I've been with the State Health Department for 14 years. Five of those years have been with the Office of Medical Cannabis. And I think that it's some of the work that I'm most proud of in my career so far. It's such a developing industry and an innovative industry. And to, to regulate and do policy work in that space is absolutely fascinating. Yeah, and it sure seems like, like you said, it's evolving. I think the efficacy is well documented now. Yeah, it is. I think it is helping people. I am really proud of, you know, in the last year, our medical cannabis program really got to shine in sort of a quiet way. The legislature and the Department of Health set up a really robust data tracking system, which is unique in the U.S. to most medical cannabis programs. And so we have all of this aggregate patient data that demonstrates therapeutic benefit of medical cannabis. And this year when the FDA decided that they would revisit rescheduling cannabis on the federal level, they did a call for data. And they traditionally in the past have only wanted to see peer-reviewed scientific journals And that's pretty limited in the cannabis space because cannabis is a Schedule One substance. And this time they opened it up and they said that they are interested in, you know, patient experience and program experience. And Minnesota provided the most data of any program in the U.S. to say, 
look at what we've learned in five years, and it's pretty remarkable. So I hope that that ultimately influences, in a good way, the scheduling of cannabis federally. Wow, I didn't know that. And like you said, it's evolving, so you have to have it. If there is no data, there is no data. You you do, and I, I hope that most people want policy decisions to be data-driven and to be made on you know solid ground. We've talked before, and we know sooner than later the Office of Cannabis Management is going to be the main hub of the new state agency. When does that happen? When does the Office of Medical Cannabis go under that umbrella? Is it a little more than a year? Yeah. So right now in statute, it's March 1st of 2025 is when the medical cannabis program will move out of MDH and into this new entity. Okay. So we've still got a while. You know, I, I know the the recreational became, you know, legal last summer. And, you know, we talked about the differences, and taxes being just one of them, but there are a lot of differences. And for some people, this is this is their medication they depend on and rely on. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, you know, one of the other hallmarks of Minnesota's medical cannabis program is the fact that we require that pharmacists be on site at the dispensaries for medical cannabis. And I think that that is a a unique interaction for patients and something that they value. 2025, it seems like a long ways away, but it's not that long. So um, a lot of changes will be coming and uh, it should be interesting to see you know, how, how it all works out. I know, you know, there's some people who probably are patients and really don't care about the, the adult use cannabis. I'm guessing that at some point that might even affect the prices of the medical cannabis as well when there's more cannabis on the market. So that could be a positive for these patients. Do you think that's true? I do think that's true. I think that, you know, as this industry um, evolves, that this, there's going to be, um, like any other market, there's going to be supply and demand that impacts the price of the product. And that's going to happen across the board for cannabis, whether it's medical or adult use. I think that the the supply-demand cycle is going to definitely impact price. Can you tell us what your next career move is, Chris? Sure. It's not a secret. I'm going to the city of Minneapolis, and I will be there, um, part of their senior leadership team, and will be the director of health operations. Okay, so you're 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 sticking around. You're kind of still in the whole healthcare here in Minnesota. That's right. Um, sticking true to my public health roots. Yes. Yeah, like I said, selfishly, congratulations, but I'll, I'll definitely miss talking with you all the time. Thank you. Yeah, I will I will miss um, just having lots of conversations about the, the innovation in this space. I will also say, while I appreciate the, the kind words, I'll also say I've not done this all alone, and I have a fantastic team that's at the Department of Health, and there's a, an equally fantastic team of public servants that are over at the Department of Agriculture, who is the incubator agency, and cannabis policy and regulation is in good hands. Okay, and then you're confident they'll be able to, to fill the gap when you're gone. Absolutely. I got to ask, Chris, how did you end up spending your last week on the job in Las Vegas? You know, I've been serving on the CANRA, the Cannabis Regulators Association board, and I was their treasurer. And they have an annual meeting of just government cannabis regulators. And 
um, that meeting is this week. And so I came for my last board meeting and to introduce, it's the first meeting, regulators meeting for many of the folks that are standing up the Office of Cannabis Management. So I'm here making sure that they meet the right people and just, just trying to pass along some last knowledge and make connections for them as they continue on with this work. Pass the baton. Yeah, exactly. Well, hey, we appreciate you always visiting with us. You're always open to all our questions, even if they're kind of wacky. We greatly appreciate that. And uh, we'll try to stay in touch when you're over at Minneapolis Public Health. That would be great. I'd love to. Eminence Brent Palm and Chris Focus with the State Office of Medical Cannabis. More Minnesota Matters after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel. Plowy McPlow face Blader, Tot Hot Dish, Betty Whiteout, and Han Snowlow. Do those names ring a bell? That's because there's some of MnDOT's past name of snowplow contest winners, and eight more snowplows are looking for names this year. Eminence Ashley Walker spoke to the Minnesota Department of Transportation's Ann Meyer. It's that time of year where Minnesota snowplows are begging to be branded with a new name. And this is the fourth year of the annual contest, correct? It is the fourth year. We've had a lot of fun with it. A lot of folks ask us about this contest all year long. So we just thought it was a great idea to bring it back and, and try again. We've got a lot more creative names out there. So first and foremost, lay down the rules for me. Yeah, so we're in the submission um Right now we're in the gathering phase of the contest, so we're hoping that folks with creative names fill out uh, the form online. We've got a submission form open starting today through Friday, December 15th at noon. So we'll be gathering as many names as we can during this time. Uh, Then around the holidays internally, we'll go through that list and really narrow things down to a finalist list and then put that out to the public again in late January for folks to vote on. Typically, we have about 50 or 60 finalists names for folks to vote on, and then the top eight vote-getters become named snowplows for MnDOT, one for each district uh, in our agency. We really just want folks to have fun with it. It's not meant to be a political message or, or any kind of foul language. We just want folks to have fun with it, so keep those rules in mind as you come up with creative names. What are some of the most popular names MnDOT has seen so far? Past years, submissions? Yeah, gosh, Plowy McPlowface got a ton of attention that first year and was our big winner. Uh, Folks still ask about that particular plow. We've had Betty Whiteout in the past. Uh, Oak just going to plow right past you. So a lot of creative names have already made uh, it to be named Snowplows for MnDOT. But we know there's more out there. We own 800 plows statewide. So we've got a lot more plows that we can add a name to. And each plow being named is actually active and on the streets, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. We're not adding new plows. This is just adding stickers to the side of that plow with a name on it. But we just think it's a great way for folks to maybe personalize and get to know plows a little bit better and hopefully stay safe around them. I know we haven't had a ton of snow this year, but the winter is far from over. Our crews will be hard at work all winter long. And we hope this contest maybe makes them think a little bit more about snow plows and keeping them safe so that they can clear the path before you. Have you got a submission name in mind yourself? No, I don't like to pick favorites. I just like getting involved in the process and really seeing all the creative names that come through. Uh, again, you know, we folks ask us in the summer. They see a name snowplow at the state fair. So this is something that folks really talk about all year long. So we're excited to get another contest started and get a new list of names out there to add to our fleet. And thank you so much for your time. And we'll be back again in January talking about the winners. 
MNN's Ashley Walker and MnDOT's Ann Meyer. More Minnesota Matters after this. You, my friend, have connections in the government. Yes, you. USA.gov, the official source for government information on thousands of topics. And like any good connection, there's no telling where it can take you. Why, one day you're getting student loan information. Next thing you know, you need job hunting tips. Today's road construction info could have you searching for telecommuting ideas tomorrow. The more you use USA.gov, the more uses you'll find for it. Passport applications, for example. They've been known to lead to a sudden interest in travel advisories. Our new mobile apps will even update you on the go. So whether you have information to get or ideas to give your government, check out USA.gov. Who knows? Lottery results today could lead to retirement planning tomorrow. USA.gov. With the right connections, there's no telling where you can go. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radal. Popular Minnesota Twins broadcaster Corey Provis will have a new role this spring and summer when he moves from the radio booth to the television booth. Eminent Sports Director Mike Grimm spoke with Corey about the move. I am uh, excited about it. And, um, you know, I'm 45 years old, Grimmer, and I've been doing radio. It's been my primary medium since I've been 18, since I was a freshman in college at Syracuse. And so, it's my favorite medium. I know I can do it. I've done it for a long time, but I still want to challenge myself. I don't want to just sit back, you know, in a rocking chair and say, okay, I'm, I'm good doing this for the next, you know, 30 years. I want to keep looking for that next challenge. And this to me is the ultimate challenge um, to do baseball on television every single day. Uh, it was appealing at this point in my life. And if not now, then, then, then when? And probably never. So it wasn't a slam dunk decision, though. It wasn't something that they said they offered me the job on a Tuesday and I took it on a Wednesday. It took a it took a couple of weeks for me to to ask some questions and get those questions answered. And even the ones that I was asking that they can't yet answer, I, I was happy with the direction of where this may be going, if not next season, then down the line. So that those those boxes were important to me to check as I as I thought about this process and and weighed all the pros and cons. And at the end of the day, I, I just you know, I, I just I know I'm going to love the people that I'm working with. It's people that I know already and have worked with them in, in some way or another. So you add all those things up and I thought this was the right opportunity to take on this next challenge. Yeah, and being around the team that you've been around now for the number of years you have, how much will that also be helpful as opposed to, let's just for the fun of it, say the Colorado Rockies TV job opened and they said Corey Provis is our guy, and that would have been a challenge maybe you want as well, but how much, uh, I'm not to say nothing's easy, right, in anything, but uh, the fact that this is an organization you're pretty familiar with and a ballpark you're familiar with and all of that. I mean, that was that was key. I mean, I've, I've only applied for one other job I'm uh, in the – 12 and a half years now that, that we've been here. My wife and I, we moved here. We were newlyweds, didn't have kids yet. And now my son's 10, my daughter's eight. Um, but I did apply for the Cubs TV job uh, when it came open, when Len Casper left to to join the White Sox and, and do radio with them. I thought, all right, I grew up, as you know, I grew up in the Chicagoland area. I grew up a diehard Cub fan. You know, if I don't at least pursue this, I'll always regret it. And I'm glad I went through the process and I didn't get it. 
but I interviewed for it and I met some really neat people along the way, people that I did not know. And I got better, you know, for it, that I saw another side of it. And I, I asked questions that I remember during the process that they were answering me like, no, that's a good question. We haven't been asked that before. So things that I, that I went into that process with came from my time here and from people that I've, that I've gotten to know and work with both from a business operation standpoint, a baseball operation standpoint, a broadcasting uh, standpoint that I've just learned from and wanted to, to, and was eager to see, okay, what's, what's behind, you know, th this door. And so those things were all, you know, in my mind as I was way in this process. But yeah, I mean, it's I'm, I'm just moving one booth over. I'm moving one booth to the left. Um, you know, I'm still going to see Danny through the through the glass to my right and make fun of him. And, you know, I, I won't have as many bruises. Uh, my body will be physically more sound as I get through the next baseball season, which will be nice because at times, you know, Danny can get mad and can get all you know upset about the team and get frustrated with me because I jabbed him for the upteenth time about something and I would be on the receiving end of a Lombardozzi. <laughs> and for those twins historians, you know what I'm talking about there. So yes, yeah, so but being, you know, in the booth with people that I know and to to seek questions and to get those answers from Rocco Baldelli, from Jace Tingler, from Pete Mackey, from Derek Falvey, to Thad Levine, to Daniel Adler, to Josh Kolk, and I can go on to Jeremy Zoll. I can go on and on you know, that's not going to be foreign. And those answers won't be too hard to seek out. When you went through the process, you mentioned you went through the Cubs situation, and then this one was not necessarily a slam dunk because of your radio background and the comfort you have there, and that people said, oh, those are interesting questions. What were some of the questions you wanted to answer to make sure that this was the right move, if you want to I share? Was always yeah, sure. I was always bothered by the fact, and this came out in the, in the Star Tribune a few weeks ago, that Twins baseball was too hard to see. And I thought, this is ridiculous. I mean, this is 2023. Why is this so hard for fans to be able to find at the end of the 2023 season? I was like, okay, as we move forward here, is Twins baseball going to be more accessible? Because if it's not, if we're going to be stuck in, in, in the dark ages here about finding a way to get this team to their product, that's it's not as appealing to me it, because it's too frustrating for people to be able to find their team. And I was told that blackouts are going away. And that, to me, was incredibly appealing. As I said, though, last Friday, Grimmer, when, when news came out, it's not going to solve every problem. I mean, I'm not going to say that this is going to be the end-all, be-all issue and every distribution problems are going to be solved. There's probably going to be, you know, some kind of monthly fee, if that's $20 a month, to, to see Twins Baseball. But you're not going to have to be stuck in your house watching it on your cable provider or the one satellite you know, provider that was going to give you Twins baseball, that you can be out and about if you're at your kids' events, baseball, softball, soccer, what have you. You're out on the boat. Uh, you know, you want to be able to watch the game. Uh, you can do that now on your phone, in theory. That's what I've been told, that you'll be able to, you know, to, to be able to watch Twins baseball, you know, on the app, on the MLB.tv app, and the blackout restrictions are going bye-bye. And I, I was told that even if we're back with Bally for another year, which should be fine by me, that that doesn't go away. Because that was part of the previous contract that they had is that Bally maintained, you know, all distribution and therefore they put the slam dunk on, on streaming. And But that's now going away. That if we do indeed partner up with Bally again for one more season, that just because of that, we're not going back to the old ways where blackouts were as prevalent as they once were. 
That's new Twins television voice, Corey Provis, with Eminence Sports Director, Mike Grimm. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Minnesota Matters. Be sure to join us next week on this MNN affiliate station, same time, same place. Minnesota Matters is now available in podcast form, and you can find it on your favorite platform. Have a great week. Until next time, I'm Tasha Radel.